Hello and welcome everybody to the 10th lesson in our fall quarter. Um, Hi. Just by way, um, your uh, winter encounters should be arriving um, even as we Sorry. speak. I know the church that I go to got theirs in last week. Um, so um, keep an eye on it. If uh, lesson 11 comes around and you still don't have them, please call, let me know. Uh, I want to make sure everybody yeah. gets everything they need and have ordered. Um, what do we have uh, here in a couple of weeks? We are switching our format a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're excited about that. Excited about that. Um, yeah. What I else hope do you're we excited about that. Advent's coming up. Advent. So make sure that you. <laughs> resources. You, yeah. Resources. Make sure you're checking those out uh, for your church, for your family, individually, however that looks. Uh, let's see here. What else? Anything else going on? Woosley Woman. I'm going to plug that again. We really, we really, really, really honestly need your recommendations. We need a a photo and a 250 word biography about the women of your church. Um, You know, we keep asking for these, please, 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 please send in those recommendations. Send us a photo and the 250 word biography. You can email it to me at rzarte, Z-A-H-R-T-E at cumberland.org. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. All right, so my name is Chris Fleming. I'm the Adult Ministries Coordinator for the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. This is Leo, my faithful sidekick, and I am joined by... Hi, I'm Becky Zardi. I am the Director of Ministry with Women for the Ministry Council for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And thank you for being a part of our journey this week. Make sure you hit those buttons down below, like and subscribe and share this with your friends. Yes, um, I do think it's pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good tool for teachers and other people. So, share and share alike. Um, so today, this will be the lesson for November sixth. It's lesson ten, uh, and it's entitled "A Prophet in Israel." Our scripture mm-hmm. selection is Second Kings five one through fourteen. I've told Becky this is probably. I say this about a lot of scripture, but it's my favorite scripture. It's my favorite it's story. Good, good um, story. I like this story. So our memory verse is 2 Kings 5 through 13, which is, but his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? And so before we study, we'll say our prayer for illumination. God, we are quick to become angry because of some slight. Open our eyes to the truth in the scripture that we have made faith, that we may have faith in God and God's prophets. Amen. Amen. All right. So, again, I love the story. I think it's great. It speaks to our modern culture, I think, in many ways. And we'll go through Oh, absolutely. But in our introduction, our discussion question, have you ever felt excluded or left out by a larger group of people? How did it feel to know that others chose to exclude you? Have you ever been part of a group that chose to exclude others? What information guided your decision to do so? Hmm. Well, I think we can all say that we've probably been felt like we've been left out at some point in time in our life. I know, I know we've talked about it on here, but you know, I was the big kid growing up. So I was always the one that was picked last for any sporting kickball, whatever on the, on the playground, because you know, nobody wants the fat kid on your team. So, um, it hurt to be excluded. I mean, let's, let's be honest. 
part of human nature is to feel like we're part of community, that we're part of a group. And anytime that you're pushed outside of that group, it's painful because you think, well, what's, what's wrong with me? You know, or, or my other thing I always went to is you really don't know me. You have no idea who I am as a person. And I always felt like I was a decent person. I'm not going to tell you I've always been a nice person, but I felt like I was a decent person. Um, and you don't even know me. And so you're excluding me based on physical perceived physical limitations, you know, and, and so that's, that's painful. Um, I'm sure I am sure I have been part of a group that has excluded others at some point in time. Um, that's also, again, part of human nature is that being part of the in-group then means that you follow the consensus of what the group is. And if that means that you're going to exclude somebody else based on whatever reason um, that, that you do so, you know, that's just kind of who we are as people. Unfortunately, that's very unfortunate. Yeah. And maybe it's attitudes. Cause I've thought about this too. Like, you yeah, know, when you're growing attitudes. up, your parents remind you, if you hang with dog, you get fleas too. Right. So maybe there's oh, sure. a reason as to why you should not hang around. Really certain people, right. Like, I mean, so the attitude though, I mean, like, you know, I'm not going to hang around. I'm, I'm at a place in my life where I'm not going to hang around with people who get their kicks off at the bar every night. Like sure. that's not going to be beneficial to me now, no. you know, Mary Margarita to everybody, right? <clears throat> they want it. They can have it. It's just, that's not my place in life. And, and I don't, it's not that I would exclude somebody or be exclusive thereof. I mean, people have their, people have their fun, people have their things. But I think, I think what Caleb is trying to get to is the attitude by which we include or exclude people. I mean, I think sure. there's reasons to exclude people from some things. There's reasons to include people. There's, but I think the attitude of judgment or I'm better than them or something like that. I, don't, mm-hmm. I think maybe it's just that this whole story really revolves around pride in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And so I think that's what we're trying to get to. Yeah. Um, pride and personality. You yeah. know, that's definitely the attitude that Naaman had about what, what he was asked to do. That's, that's a big one. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a big part of the story. So that's how I guess I would answer that. So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, uh, we're human beings. That's human nature. We want to be part of a group and we want our group to be the best group. Yep, that's right. Um, and that's when Jesus comes around and says things like you won't lord it over them or, you know, you'll mm-hmm. be a service to all people. I think there's an attitude behind that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Anything else in that introduction? No, I don't think so. I think it's a great way that Caleb is helping us set up what what it's looking like when we're looking at these two different groups of people, we're looking at Aram and we're looking at Israel and we're looking at two different people groups. We're looking at the prophet and we're looking at somebody who's a leader in Aram. So yeah. here we and the go. King. We're also the, the response to the King. The King is a good yeah. character in this. Um, all right. So exploring the scripture, the historical and contextual setting. Um, would you like to take the lead in that one? Sure. So we're looking at this biblical narrative, understanding the dynamic between Elisha and Naaman and the king of Israel. And then we have these minor characters, and I'm really glad that Caleb brings up um, these other people. We'll get into digging deeper with the servant girl. Um, But we have all these other minor characters because we have Naaman's servant, 
who's plays an important role. And we have the servant girl from Israel who plays an important role in this. But he talks about being Naaman, Naaman is a leper, or that's what the scripture says is leper. A lot of our translations say leper. We have to remember that leper, leprosy was something that was more recently discovered. It was kind of a broad term for a large variety of different skin conditions that, that they didn't have a specific name for. So when we think of modern day leper, we're thinking leprosy. Naaman may not have had actually leprosy, just some other skin condition that fell under that broad category. Um, Either which way, he was considered unclean by Israel. These were social taboos. These were people that were supposed to be, according to Israel laws, of course, we know Naaman was from Aram, that they were supposed to be outside of the rest of the culture. And that was, you know, for hygienic reasons that they were afraid that whatever he had was contagious. And yeah, what just Israel though? They, I mean, yeah, like, it was all that's around. true. So they were, they were supposed to be, but here you have the, what's interesting is you have the second in command to Aram that has the skin disease, I think is really interesting. So what kind of social taboos or what kind of, you know, I've thought about this, like what, what things were happening in the Aram Damascus region, um, in their culture that, would he have been excluded from certain ceremonies or would he have been outside of different social situations, even though he was high ranking? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, know. it's, it befalls the great and the small. So, I mean, people didn't want to get, look, I was reading through this and Caleb asked the question. We know in our modern scientific world that skin disorders have all kinds of causes and they're not evidence of any moral or spiritual failure failure. Nevertheless, church going folk often exclude certain people based on their traits that do not relate to physical or spiritual well-being. I just want to highlight that to say it's not just the church. Like we have a modern day parallel here with COVID. Like oh there were man people who were excluding other people who didn't have COVID because they didn't want to wear a mask. Like, right, right, to where like that. So, and then we had like people who made judgments about people on their stance on whether to, right? And yes. so, like, we are still the same people. Like, I mean, uh, it, it's crazy yep. how we still, we, that was the most amazing thing with, in, in, in my, in my world. I think just the virtue of people on whether they agreed or disagreed with something, right? Sure, sure still around and most of it most of it was through social media it wasn't something you'd say to somebody's face <laughs> well i'm just yeah yeah but see it's kind of like this it's like one of those things you you know how people feel when they tell the truth right yeah. like uh, and usually it's only social constraints that keep people from saying the absolute truth all the time so in some sense it was kind of at least you knew where you stood eye opening yeah not making anything political about it it's just I mean, like yeah. we can look back and be like, how could they act like that? Ostracizing people. It's because they didn't sure. want to die either. They didn't want to come down with this yeah. horrible disease. It's the same way that none of us wanted to have COVID and spend, you know, our lives in the hospital or, you know, months yeah. or whatever. We didn't want that to happen to our um, friends and family. Our and children, so. our grandchildren, our grandparents, you know, yeah, we made very clear dividing lines. So fear is certainly a play in this uh, text too, or in that condition. <clears throat> 
what I wanted to bring up in this story when I've studied it, I see a couple juxtapositions. I love the word juxtaposition, and I think they use it a lot in the Bible. But you have this servant girl and the king. The servant girl has complete faith in the prophet of Yahweh or in Elijah, mm-hmm. whereas the king is scared to death. Doesn't really Terrifying. like prophet turning around to begin with and then scared to death. So a servant girl and a king. Then you have the juxtaposition of a prophet of God, spiritual things, and then you have Naaman, right? Who is the most powerful, you know, one of the most powerful people on earth, but he can't fix his problem. He's got to be submitted to this prophet who mm-hmm. just says, go do this. You're good. Right. Doesn't command an army. Doesn't. Um, nothing huge, nothing elaborate. No mumbo jumbo, you know, come out and wave the wand over your head. Just go and wash in the river Jordan seven times. Yep. So um, I don't know. Is it in this section that we should probably bring that up? Like, um, about like the timing of war and the the setting of why you know like Aram Damascus and Israel yeah, to fight yeah with each I think other. this would be good to talk about it here before we dive deeper into it so so the whole setting is you have Aram Damascus and you have Israel and we know that from historical records that when you fight wars it was during the summertime it was Spring when spring and summer. So it was when it was easy. It was when the ground was dry. It was easy to move your people back and forth. And so we have Aram and Aram Damascus and Israel have been fighting. They, they have been fighting a war. Um, and in the wintertime you quit because the roads get muddy. There's lots of rain. It's hard to move your chariots. It's hard to move your people through. So you just take a break. And I will say this, because I think it's just neat in a way if you can call war neat but that's the exact same thing that's happening right now in the ukraine and and russia they're trying to get everything they possibly can in by about november 16th and november 16th that's when it starts getting terrible and winter and muddy and whatever and so nobody's hard to move where they want to go hard to move equipment you got to stop so this is this is where we're at you know so when when naaman who is in the second command of Aram comes to this Jewish king, to the Israelite king, and and he's bringing all these riches. We have to remember that they were just fighting. Yeah. <laughs> like they yeah. were just fighting a few months ago. So it's right weird. now they're, they're taking a break. <laughs> so yeah, I wanted to bring that up too, because it's something. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the story of Bathsheba mm-hmm. uh, and David. Like if you really read, the very first, so 2 Samuel 11, this is the beginning of that story where David goes out on the rooftops. Well, okay, so here's how that starts. 2 Samuel 11, 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It was almost as if this was like a yearly kind of like, <clears throat> I don't know, you just, it's just what you did. This is what you do. <clears throat> You went out. You you attack the neighboring communities in the spring and summer. And so I think it's kind of funny in this sense where uh, Samuel highlights the fact that because David didn't go out in war like kings are supposed to, he had free time on his hands. He got and if he wasn't right, and if he was doing his job as a king and going out and fighting wars, he wouldn't wouldn't have have gotten. Anyway, I put that up just to say. um, I mean, this was the way. This is the way things were. Like you yeah. did this. I don't know if it was sport. I don't know. And so it's not as weird as it might think, like King of Israel and whatever. I mean, it's like there's just skirmishes. 
we're cool right now. You still have trade and you have like, you know, whatever. Yes. But, but anyway, so that's the setting for this. Yeah. Um, did you want to hit the discussion question or are you okay? I think we talked I'm, about I'm it. I'm good. I think we lepers. talked about that. I think maybe the other thing that uh, Caleb was trying to get is that we still kind of equate non-spiritual things into spiritual things for reasons yeah. not to maybe invite people to church. Like if you've been to church, you might've heard they're from the wrong side of the tracks or, you know, mm-hmm. or people are just wary when somebody that looks different than them come in, they just don't know what to do, which is terrible. I mean, you know, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So on to digging deeper, comparing scripture with scripture, what you got there? He starts off with talking about, I want to talk about this, this young Israelite girl, because okay. she is often overlooked, but she is the huge catalyst in this story. So you have this Israelite girl who is a slave girl in the household of Naaman and Naaman has this terrible skin disease and this slave girl, obviously still very much Jewish, probably still practices her Jewish rituals, whatever she can. She believes in what her God, Yahweh does so much that she's like, I really wish my master would just go to our prophet because I know our prophet could heal him. And so it's this, it is this catalyst movement from a woman who is enslaved in the enemy camp, right? Who propels him to then take all of these riches and go to the nation that they've been warring with asking for help. Yeah. It has to say something about Nathan, because like, if I was like, you know, if I was just sitting here talking and all of a sudden somebody came in and kidnapped me and uh, the person who kidnapped me uh, started getting a little itchy, I'd be like, burn, baby, burn. (laughs) Oh, it hurts. (laughs) I'd be in my closet saying, thank you, Lord, for afflicting this person with that disease. And I hope it never gets better. It's probably the attitude I would take. So it either tells you something about the uh, nature of that young slave girl, or it also tells you about the nature of Naaman treating people with respect, kindness, dignity. And listening. Yeah. Yeah. Even Uh, from the lowliest position in his household, he he listened to what she had to say. And then not to overlook that either would be like the scripture text actually says the Lord granted victory to Aram through Naaman. Right. I mean, that's that was something that uh, needed to be noted, which I'm sure is kind of jarring. Um, yes. If you're a Jewish person and you're reading that because God's supposed to be on your side. And yes. That's just not how it works all the time. Right. I mean, no. Um, so that's what sets it up. You have the, again, you have that God grants this victory. Naaman is great, not because of Naaman's own strength and power, but because the Lord allowed him to be great. Yeah. Naaman seems to have some dignity about him and dignity for others. Because the slave girl, like I said, I can't, there's no reason in the world why she'd be like, hey, you need to go get healed over there. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. unless he's treating that young and with respect. So sure. there's that. So anyway, sure. that's where we get to. We get there yeah. and Naaman then goes to the king and and the response of the king is amazing. He it's certainly not out. Right? He freaks out. So Naaman comes with all of these treasures. I mean, it's amazing when you really do the math and figure out how much gold and silver that he came with. And then the extra clothing set, we're not really sure what the extra, the 10 extra clothes were for. Was that a gift or 
the name is just coming prepared clothes often you know we don't know we don't really know what that was all for but when he comes to the the israelite king again remember they were just warring right so now we have a time frame when they're they're not fighting and Naaman comes with this letter from his own king, from his master, his king comes with this letter and all of these riches and, and asks for this cure. And the king freaks out. Yeah. He's like, dude, y'all aren't supposed to be here yet. We got like a couple more months. Leave me alone. Yeah. You and know, he totally spazzes. This shows, again, this shows that, that difference between the, Israelite girl who has complete faith and trust in Yahweh and Yahweh's prophet. Yeah. And then the king who's like, I can, we ain't got nobody. What, what do you want me to do? I can't do nothing about this. I don't know what you want me to do. You know, So I wonder who the leper is in the story. When you say it like that, is it the king? Really? I mean, like if you're talking about it from a spiritual understanding, is the king that's sure. the real leper of this story, which very well could be the king of Israel. Oh, right. Right. That's an interesting point. I hadn't looked at it that way before. Hmm. That's kind of answering that discussion question. What do you find most interesting or strange about this brief narrative? What questions do you have for the characters involved? That's like, I would say, yeah, King, you're terrible. Yeah. I would want to know why, like, why did he not have faith in Elisha? You know, why did he not have faith in Yahweh? How is it that you became King of Israel and didn't, and had such little faith? Yeah. But we know, I mean, we know the history, though, that there were terrible, terrible, terrible kings. Yeah, and it brings up then, <clears throat> this leads us into where Caleb uh, talks about Luke chapter 4, right? Uh, when Jesus is in, uh, in the first century, and he's walking among his brethren and sistren, and he uses Naaman as an example. And it doesn't mm-hmm. go real well for him, uh, because evidently, you know, scars take a long time to heal. <clears throat> um and Jesus brings up Nathan as a way of saying, look, in all of Israel, there were a lot of, <clears throat> there were a lot of lepers, but God chose to heal Naaman. Like, yeah. why do you think that is? And I think it brings up that uh, the people who should know better, like the king, lack faith and they lack spiritual sensitivity. And what Jesus mm-hmm. was saying, you lack faith and you lack spiritual sensitivity. And because of that, I'm going to make sure that this is open to everybody. Yeah. And uh, if I remember correctly. Um, isn't that where, oh, well, you go ahead. Oh yeah, no, well, I can do this in verse 29, Luke 4, 29. Um, that's when they got mad enough and they were like, Hey, we're going to throw Jesus down a hill. (laughs) Like we're sick of this guy. (laughs) Yeah. Which is amazing. It's probably how, I mean, you know, I should never had it really good with the Kings, uh, and Queens. So they probably wanted the exact, I mean, the King probably wanted to do the same to, well, I know he did. It was just a menace to good Jewish yeah. society. Sure. Yeah. And then and then Caleb brings up Matthew chapter eight. Yeah. And this is also the request of the leprous man. And he says, he says that the leper does not say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make my skin healthy and much more comfortable. But instead, he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And this is also really important because it goes back to that whole understanding of cleanliness. Because in our 21st century context, we're looking at it as he cared of skin disease, right? That he cared him of leprosy, but that's not, that's not it. That's not it. It is, it is the whole, it is the, it is the spiritual cleansing. It is the physical cleansing. It is the ability to live a life 
within society being a part of instead of being shunned from society. It is because the picture again, of Shalom. Yeah. At this point, you know, living as an unclean, he has to live outside of the community. He has to wear tar- torn clothing. He has to cover his face. Anytime anybody comes close to him, he has to shout unclean, unclean, unclean. I mean, how just embarrassing. He can't participate in any of the temple sacrifices. He cannot participate in any of the, the rituals surrounding the temple and the synagogues. He can't, he cannot be a part of his people group. He is completely excluded. And so becoming clean is more than just the physical healing. It it is the, it is the spiritual healing. It is the ability to be again, a part of your community. Yeah. Like I said, it's Shalom. It's peace. It's to be at one with your, at one with, with everybody, your society and all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's pretty tough. Yeah. Um, then he goes down uh, that just uh, talks about, well, the very last paragraph before the discussion question on page 56. Back to the story at hand, we read of Naaman's refusal to obey Elijah's orders. Um, but after heeding the advice of his servants, he humbles himself and bathes in the River Jordan. Um, I'm making sure I don't want to. This is important. Okay, so this is an often overlooked part of the story. Because Naaman says, you know, why couldn't I just bathe in over in Damascus? The, weren't those rivers good enough? Why do I gotta go to this stupid river over here? I don't get it. Yeah. And, and we overlook it because as an Israelite reading this story, you would understand the context of the River Jordan and how important and integral a part of the story is to the Israelite community. So if you're, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, hopefully you are, but if you're not, the River Jordan, when Joshua took over from Moses and they crossed into the Canaan land, their promised land, they came over the Jordan. They came through the, through the River Jordan. So the River Jordan plays a significant role in Israelite history, but now Naaman's not an Israelite. So he's like, I don't, I don't get it. Why this dumb river over here? Why can't I just do this back at home? But when Elisha tells him to go bathe in the river Jordan, this is really important because this is a huge part of their story. This is a huge part of their community. Um, and we don't get into it in, in the scripture reading today, but if you continued on reading the story of Naaman, after Naaman goes and bathes and is cured, he comes back to Elisha. And he wants to take dirt from the River Jordan back home with him because he understands the importance of this location. Yeah, I'm what. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I almost think too, like when you're crossing over the Jordan, they're going into the Promised Land. In some way, this is if you continue on in the story. Um, Naaman tells Elisha, "Look, I've got to serve my master, and they're going to go to houses of worship that aren't Yahweh." They're going to worship gods that aren't Yahweh. And I've got to go in there. I've got to, I've got to make sure my master can bow down and worship. I got to make yep. sure that he rises. He's like, but I'm taking this with me, this land, and just know that I've I've passed through the promised land. Like I've been washed in the River Jordan. I'm part of God's people. Yeah. Um, but I would I would note one more thing, and and maybe this is just me, but pride in the sense of one of the most humbling messages I think of the gospel is that Christ has paid 
the debt and made me free, as the old hymn mm-hmm. says, that I didn't have to beat my body, that I don't have to spend years of my life justifying my actions. Uh, there's not an amount of sacrifice or sorrow I can show. I simply have to say, oh, God had to do it for me. There's a pride in that, that um, mm-hmm. like if I do something wrong with someone, it is my major goal in life is to make it right. Move heaven and earth if I have to, uh, because I want to show my sorrow or, my, yeah. you know, but, you know, one of the hardest things in, in life is for people to accept forgiveness, right? Like, sure. Or to accept. And, and basically, that's what this powerful human being is at the mercy of God. And maybe we resent that a little bit. Maybe we really don't want to be at the mercy of God. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I might. I'm, I'm sure somebody listening knows what I mean. I, it's just you want to be your own. You want to pick, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. Yes. You want to be the person that. Yes. That, that is in charge. I had somebody tell me one time, and I think we've talked about it before, that they don't like the idea that a 33 year old man went to the cross for them because they yeah. didn't ask him to. Yeah. Yeah. They're very, I mean, they're very uncomfortable with the idea that somebody died for their sins because right. they didn't, they didn't ask this person to do that for them. Yeah. We want to retain control. Mm-hmm. I do know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here it's, here it's this story about, because he could have gone to a river in Damascus, but Naaman had to humble himself to listen to Elisha and just just do what Elisha asked, yeah. which was just go to the River Jordan. Yeah. And his slave, his slave days. was like, you know, hey, if yeah. They, if and he that, had, that's another right? person that was often overlooked because, again, I think that goes back to the character of Naaman listening to the slave girl to begin with, but now listening to his own servant who says look, if he had asked you to do something really difficult, you would have gone and done it. But you'd have shown your muscles. Really, you would have yeah. been like, look how great I look am. Look at me. I did this let's myself. blow the horns. Let's That's have the big party, yeah. you know, whatever. But he asked you to do just something really easy. So why not just do it? And, right. and Naaman again had to humble himself to go and do this action, listening to his servant. Yeah. yeah. I think we've answered the question, but the question is, though Naaman holds a position of power over many others, he is shown to listen to his captive and servants, heeding their advice. What does this say about Naaman as a person? When have you ignored advice from someone that later turned out to be good advice? Well, I mean, I never have because I'm perfect. No, just kidding. Sure. Sure. Um, said that before, parents are a pretty good one. But I mean, oh, I yeah. think this shows that, um, you know, Nathan was a pretty good dude. This is somebody you'd like to have dinner with. You'd invite yeah. them over to your house. Treat I would them with honor so. and respect. Yeah. I think. I All right. Let's learn from the scripture. Talk to me. So I like this sentence. It says, however, I see a man who is willing to humble himself and follow the will of God, even when it goes against the grain of his imagination. I, I think that's really important, especially in our society today. Because here we we're taught in our society to do the big thing, to have the big fanfare, to build yourself up, to do all this crazy stuff. Because, you know, he who dies with the most stuff wins, right? Right. And, but there's an element of humility 
in everything that Christ asks us to do. To accept Christ as a savior, understanding that he died for your sins, even though you didn't ask him to, that's an act of humility. There is a, a element of complete surrender when we, when we follow Christ and just listen to what he asks us to do. Um, and it's often serving the least of these. It is often taking care of those that don't look like us, don't act like us, don't smell like us. And, and this is where we have to shed our pride, just like Naaman had to shed his pride to go and do something very simple, simple request. We have to shed our pride to, to often do the lesser things because these are the more important things. Yeah. Um, I think that's absolutely true. I think in here, one thing that I would highlight is I was listening when I was preparing to teach, you know, my religion class or whatever. I, I remember I listened to a, um, Ralph Dothit, uh, is a, New York Times columnist, religion columnist. Um, and he had a presentation where he talked about the importance of religion and why like colleges aren't teaching, teaching it well. And he said, one of the reasons why they don't teach it well is because they don't have people who actually believe it. <laughs> and he said, you know, if you really want to learn about transubstantiation, have a Catholic teach you, or if you want to learn about Hinduism, uh, have have someone who actually believes it teach it sure. and um, and I bring that up because I think what Caleb brings up is too that we experience God's mercies when we also in humility do that which God wants us to do and so it's one thing to say yes we believe God and all that jazz like you know even Naaman would you know he he wanted to be until he did what God wanted him until he believed that God could he did not experience the blessing and I think that's really true. I mean, it's it's hard to talk about Christianity when you're not doing it. Like true. Or it's easy to talk about the sacrifices when you're not doing it. But when you do, then you get that head in the heart in the right spot and in doing and obeying and submitting. You know, yeah. it makes a lot more sense than some academic absolutely. Experience. Yeah, because I mean the things that that we talk about in humility that we're asked to do it doesn't make sense to the world around us. I mean, why would you sell all your possessions and give them to the poor? Right. And you, and it makes no sense until you do it. Right. But then when you do it and you find the blessing and you realize just how amazing God is, then it's like, oh, yeah, because they get a blessing, but you get a blessing sense. of knowing that you can shed some of this junk that's in your head and mind and heart and home. Yeah. Life yeah. can be less cluttered. I mean, like until you do it, you don't know it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really what Caleb was talking about here. He says on the top of page 57, he says, only after swallowing his pride and submitting to God's will does Naaman experience God's gift of restoration. Yeah, I think that's the absolute truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, in counseling sessions, when I was, you know, full-time in the ministry, people were like, I just don't feel the presence of God. I'm like, well, do something that that <laughs> is worthy of having to rely on God. Like this, sure. this is step one. That. Wow. That's a novel concept. It is. Man. And then he so, brings in our confession of faith, yeah. um, which talks about humility. It's section 4.12 says justification is God's act of loving acceptance of believers, whereby persons are reconciled to him by the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When they in repentance and faith trust Christ, 
who is their righteousness, God gives them peace and restores the relationship with him. Yeah. I think repentance or maybe humility is another term for repentance. Sure. I really do think that. I mean, like nobody can repent unless they're humble enough to admit they're wrong. First that's of all. true. That's true. Yeah. I, I think I agree uh, with that. that's a way to think about that. Yeah. Um, have you ever intentionally pursued humility in a relationship or project? What would you say are humility's pros and cons? Um, I never do it on purpose. <laughs> I would say in the last couple years, I have really tried to be more intentionally humble. Part of that is because I recognize the blessings that I receive from the humility and also understanding, you know, as I've gotten older, I realize maybe I don't know everything I thought I did. Um, So part of the, the pros of this is watching other people flourish. One of, one of my drivers is when I'm, I'm talking to somebody and I'm teaching somebody else and I see the light in their eyes go off and I see that they're, they're grasping what I'm saying and they're getting it. And to me, that is, that is a huge driver for my life. And so I love that the cons are the world doesn't understand you. They don't get it. They don't get why, why are you so nice to people? Why are, why are you caring about this? Why do you put in your time? Why do you, why do you not do more for yourself? Um, And so the cons are sometimes you do feel excluded from the rest of the world and you feel outside of, yeah. If you're talking about a project, one of the things that I've kind of learned so I've defined humility in the past as just the honest recognition of who you are. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in a project, sometimes you just know more than other people. Now you enter into a project with the thought of making sure that you've made room for everybody to express themselves and to see other sure. ideas and all that jazz. But sometimes you just need to do some things too. And by, by maybe being afraid to take the lead in some sense, you think you're practicing humility, but you're hurting the project. Um, like, you know, that's, if you work in any kind of systems based thing, like restaurant or even a church, if people are afraid to take a leadership position because of their, they're trying to exercise their humility, the church suffers, Mm -hmm. a restaurant suffers like, right. Humility is not being a jerk about it. Like if God gives you, um, Gary going, he played our, he played piano at our, at Margaret Hank. And I, I remember he would somebody would say, thank you, Gary, for playing. That was amazing. He's like, well, I'm glad that I'm able to serve God. And he said he used to say, oh, I'm not that good. And he's like, well, no, actually, I'm pretty good. But it's not because of me. It's because God has sure. given me a spot to yeah. play. So thank God that I'm able to serve in this way. And, I think, and the talent to do so. And yeah. the talent to do so. Like, don't make excuses for the things God has given you, but don't be a jerk. You know, reflect glory back to God. And I, I think that's important. That. Yeah, I, I remember Gary... Cause I used to do that. If I preached well, be like, that was a great sermon. Be like, no, nah, it sucked. And you know, well, no, actually it was okay. But yeah. you know, God gave me the idea. And, you know, so yeah, it's okay. I remember I learned, I learned a little bit about humility. Like false humility is, is just a sense of pride. Sure. All right. So, yep. All right. Applying the scripture. What do you got there? Well, he talks more about just being humble. Right. Um, I like though he says, he says, although I haven't stated yet 
yet stated this explicitly. I think we must also notice that the story challenges us to humble ourselves as readers by examining the characters within. So that that's a great thing for us to do. You know, we've been talking about being humble and is it false humility? Is it true humility? But what are our motives? You know, I look at Naaman and his character with, again, listening to his slave girl and listening to his servant. That makes me realize that even though he was the leader of a a culture that was not Israel and attacked Israel, that he had a good character. He was a, a good person. Hmm. Um, that he listened to those around him. Yeah. Um, there's not really a, you can't really practice yourself into humility. No. Like it comes, like you can't be like, I'm going to be humble today. And you know, no, I think it, it comes with surrendering your life to God. Surrendering your life you to God. With him. Unfortunately, a little bit of breaking on occasion. Like you got to be broke probably to yeah. be humble. Yeah. Um, but I think if you're intentional about it, I think maybe, you know, that's, that's the, uh, I like when Paul says, you know, all the apostles were, you know, are above me, but I'm not, you know, I'm not chopped liver. Right. In the sense yeah. of, he's like, you know, uh, I make myself a slave. Like it was his intention to be. And he'd say things like, but by the grace of God, go I, you know, like he yeah. understood that his position wasn't because of his greatness. It was because God had blessed him. And so I think that's a sense what we remind ourselves of our blessings that we're not worthy of them. Mm -hmm. And that gives us like, if we saturate ourselves in that, the blessings of God, then maybe we, um, maybe that works from our head to our hearts to remind us that, but by the grace of God, go we. Yeah. um, Yeah. That gives us. Yeah, Caleb closes the section. He says, trusting in Jesus Christ requires that we step outside the boundaries of what we often call just the way things are. If we can abandon our pride and seek God's will humbly, peace and restoration will be on our horizons. And I think think that's that's so true. Yeah. And then he also encourages us in the respond section, make a personal commitment to remind yourself that humility enables us to listen and hear God's word from unexpected sources. When you get the chance, you just might be surprised about how a little humility goes a long, long way. It does. It can also get you taken advantage of. So go, Christian. Be faithful. Know that God protects us. I think that's the scary part of humility, too. Absolutely. Yeah, because we we don't. We've all heard the horror stories. (laughs) Yeah, and I think maybe we confuse humility with debasement. Like, Mm. We, you know, humility isn't allowing someone to completely take your humanity. Right. That is, again, that's not, you're a human being created in the image of God, worthy of some dignity. Now, it's up to you then how much you give away, maybe to show humility. But no, being humble means that you also recognize you. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the gifts that you have, you know, I mean, again, it goes back to, to Gary understanding that these are beautiful gifts that he's been given and he has an amazing talent, but it's because God has given him this talent. You know, I think it's the same, same with us. We have to recognize that we have different gifts that were are available to us that God has gifted us. 
and to use them for the upbuilding of the kingdom. That doesn't mean that we're chopped liver. That means we, you know, we have something of value to offer the rest of the world, but it's through God. Amen. Anything else there, Rev? I don't think so. This is a great lesson this week and read more of the story. I just, I love, I love the story of Naaman. It's really good. All right. In that case, may the love of God, the peace of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. We'll see you next week. Amen. Bye everyone. Mm -hmm.